day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night. Well, that'll be the emphasis of what we will be looking at today here. You see, what Peter is really trying to bring to our attention is this. While God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, while God is patient, and while God is holding off judgment in this day of grace, this day of grace does not mean that a day of judgment is not coming. That's really the point that Peter is trying to make here. You see, and he's making this point because many of us think that if judgment is delayed, then judgment will never come. And Peter is saying, do not, be, do not make that mistake. The day of the Lord will come. There's an emphasis that's given here. And he's giving that emphasis, again, not only against the backdrop of God's delay of justice because of his desire to see sinners repent, it's also given against the backdrop of the scoffers who say that day will never come. But Peter makes the point that this day will most surely come. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at this passage of Scripture. And in this passage of Scripture, we're really going to see one primary point. And the primary point is this, that though God is not willing that any should perish, yet he has decreed or determined a day when Jesus Christ shall suddenly return in judgment and in glory. Let me say it again. Though God is not willing that any should perish, he has determined and decreed the day when Jesus Christ shall come in glory to judge the living and the dead. You see, this passage of Scripture then is all about that awful day of judgment that awaits the earth. Well, how will we handle this passage of Scripture? How will we proceed as we work through this verse of Scripture? What we'll do is we'll handle it under two very simple points. And number one, we're going to see the certainty of the day. The day of the Lord will come. That's, again, Peter's emphasis there. But we're also going to see something about the nature of that day. There are about three things that we see in this passage of Scripture that are descriptive of the nature of that day. We'll see very quickly, number one, that it is a, it is a day of, of, sudden expect, uh, of unexpected uh, uh, reality. It, it comes as a thief in the night. Uh, secondly, we're going to see uh, something by way of the catastrophism that's associated with it. These, these events physically that will be happening in the earth. We're going to see that this is referenced a couple of times in Scripture. That when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, there will be, again, these physical changes in the created order. But the third thing we're going to see is that this coming of our Lord Jesus Christ has a revelatory aspect to it. And what do I mean by that? It will reveal the works of men and women everywhere. You see the Lord Jesus Christ coming in judgment. There will be something by way of a revelation of your soul and my soul, a revelation of your works and my works. And so we'll take a look at each of these points as we work through. Well, the first thing I want you to consider then with me is, as, as I said before, the certainty of this day. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And what I want you to see is, as I said, that Peter has been is saying this against the backdrop of everything he's said so far. You remember that he, when he picked up the whole theme of the scoffers in this third chapter, what he did is he, he asked the question. He put the question of the scoffers in his own mouth. In verse 4 of chapter 3, he says this, Those who say, where is the promise of his coming? Where is the promise of his coming? And you remember, we, we engage this idea that people think that since the Lord Jesus Christ is delaying his coming, that he'll never come. They write it off as something of a religious fantasy, of a religious, of this great religious hope that, that people who are deluded by religion hold on to. But Peter is saying, no, that is not the case. Do not, mis, do not misconstrue God's patient mercy with sinners to the fact that he will now no way perform his promises. He will perform his promises. And that's exactly the point that Peter is making here. 
He even referenced the great day of judgment in verse 7. In verse 7 he said this, but the, but the heavens and the earth which are now are by the same word kept in store reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. The day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So you see this day is being set forth, it's being cast in this passage of scripture as something that will most cert- certainly take place. And this idea of the day of the Lord, again, is something that's very important in scripture. In the Old Testament, we see it a number of times. We probably see it about 20, I'm sorry, we probably see it about, uh, I want to say about between 17 and maybe uh, uh, 19 times in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the the phrase occurs about five times. So it's a fairly common theme uh, in the scriptures, this theme of the day of the Lord. And really what it speaks to is the idea of God's judgment, God's breaking in in human history, as I said before, to judge the righteous and the wicked. God will have his day. Jesus Christ will have his day. And again, Peter is saying this in a sense to say this, the scoffers are having their day, are they not? The wicked are having their day, are they not? Herod had his day when he condemned Jesus Christ. Pilate had his day. Well, Jesus Christ will have his. You see, there is coming a day when Jesus Christ will be revealed in all of his glory. And that's exactly the point that Peter is making here. Well, this idea of a coming day, the coming day of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the Christian is something of a humbling day, but a happy day as well. The thought that Jesus Christ is coming in glory should be, should be a cause of humility within the heart of the people of God, but should also be a cause of happiness within the hearts of the people of God. Why is this? Well, let me suggest a few things to you along these lines. Number one, the, the Christian is both happy and humbled by this great event. He is humbled by the fact that God has been long-suffering toward him and bringing him to salvation. Aren't you humbled by that? You stop and think of who and what you were. You stop and think of where your sins would bring you. You stop and think of if God had let you alone, where you would end up. And you're humbled by the fact that God persisted with you in his grace. That God would not let you go. That God over and over again came to you time and time again. You see, you're humbled by this. You don't walk around saying, yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, look at me because of this. You don't do any of those things. You walk around in humility. God saved me. I see better people than me rushing headlong into hell. And God saved me. Again, this idea of Jesus Christ coming in judgment is a humbling reality. Number two, not only are we humbled by the fact that God has been long-suffering to us, we're humbled by the fact that we read in the scripture this number of people that God has purposed in eternity to save this 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 church this 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 elect group this this people whom god has set his love on from eternity past and while on the one hand god is desiring all men everywhere to be saved on the other hand we see that there are these people who shall infallibly be saved and we think to ourselves as we read in the word of god as we search our own hearts that somehow this has all come to rest on me i can't believe it I can't believe that God would, would, would love me in the way that he has. And so again, as I said before, it's a humbling fact, this reality of this coming day. The Christian is humbled by the fact that, that he or she has been able to, as Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, he or she has been able to make his calling and election sure. As you see, you've, 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 you've lived your, your life as a Christian and, you, and you've done the things that God has called you to do and you've seen evidences of grace. You've seen the signs of of the Spirit of God working within you. You've seen these things that you've been able to look back and say, I know that wasn't me. I know that was the grace of God that was doing that. 
And so you've been able to make your calling and election sure. And as I said before, you're humbled by these things. But not only are you humbled by the fact that, that Jesus Christ is going to have his glory day when he comes to judge the living and the dead, you're happy about that as well. Because you also know that against this backdrop of God's judgment upon humanity is the great call of the gospel which says God is not willing that any should perish. Oh, you're happy about that. You don't look around and you say, oh, get, let them sinners, let them get everything they deserve. No, that's not how you feel. Your heart goes out to, to men and women who are persisting in their sin. And you long to see them come to faith in Jesus Christ. And you're happy to tell them that God is not willing that any should perish. So yes, you're humbled by these things, but you're happy by these things as well. He's happy to know that in spite of the mocking of the scoffers, the day of the Lord Jesus Christ will come. And I'm saying to you, this gives, this gives the church of Jesus Christ great happiness. That Jesus Christ will come again to judge the living and the dead. It's an awesome day, this day of judgment. It's a day that in one way causes us to shudder when we think of what will happen on that day. But because we love Jesus Christ in the way that we do, we're happy for that day. The writers of Scripture bring this out in a number of different ways. They speak about the, the coming day of the Lord Jesus Christ in ways that really show how much that day means to them. We see this in, in a passage of Scripture like 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, verse 10. Listen to what Peter, I'm sorry, listen to what Paul says about this coming day. Peter, Paul says this, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. When he, that's a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe. You see, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes, it will be a day of admiration for this coming Savior, for this coming judge. He's coming to be glorified in his saints. And while it will be a day of awful judgment for the unbeliever, yet there's something of admiration in the fact that Jesus Christ is coming. Oh, the church will long for that day. The church will admire Jesus Christ on that day. You see, part of this happiness is all bound up in the fact that when Jesus Christ comes again, he's coming, as the scripture says, he's coming without sin. And this is, this is a cause of joy for the people of God. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28 so Christ once suffered to bear the sins of many unto them that look for him. He shall appear the second time without sin unto salvation. You see, when Jesus Christ returns, he's coming for your salvation. Salvation will be consummated on that great day. This is why Paul says that there is a group of people, the church, that love the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me in that day, and not to me only, but to all them that love his appearing. You see, this coming day of the Lord Jesus Christ that Peter is speaking about, it's a glory day for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a happy day for the church of Jesus Christ. It's a day that all those who truly know the Lord Jesus Christ, they love that day because it is the day of his appearing. You will admire Jesus Christ in that day when he comes. And you see, but to the wicked, again, this day of judgment, this day of judgment will be an awful day. And that's why we bring the gospel to, to our friends and our family members who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. We never, we never cease to preach the gospel to them. We never cease to make the case for Jesus Christ on their behalf. We speak to them about this everlasting love of God, this patience of God, which in this day knows no end, but on one day will come to an end. And so we preach the gospel over and over again. We implore sinners everywhere to come to saving faith in Christ. But once again, this is all revolving around the idea of the day of the Lord. 
You saw what P Peter said here in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord shall come. What is this day of the Lord? Well, as I said before, it's a very important theme in Scripture. In the Old Testament, we see it in a number of places. It's kind of interesting that we see it particularly in the prophets in the Old Testament. And what happened in the Old Testament was essentially this. There was a time in which the people of God were under the oppression of their enemies. And the people of God longed for a day of deliverance. And that day was called the day of the Lord. A day in which God shall exercise judgment upon the enemies of Israel. Now what began to happen over time was that sadly, the idea of the day of the Lord took on strictly, I shouldn't say strictly, but primarily nationalistic overtones. And what began to happen in the process of time was that God raised up prophets to remind even Old Testament Israel that God's coming in judgment wasn't on a basis of nationality nor ethnicity, but it was based rather on a right relationship with God through the covenant promises. And so what God was looking for was well, he was looking for righteousness. And if, and if an individual thought only because he was in a, a covenant relation formally with God, that he would somehow escape that judgment, that all would be safe. The prophets God sent to remind the people that such was not the case, but rather God's judgment would come on the wicked no matter where they may be found. It would be kind of like in our day, we think that, well, you know, we're in the church, so nothing can happen to us. We're in the church, the judgment of God can never come upon us. And God's word, word reminds us that's not the case. You see, it's one thing to be in the church it's another thing to be following Jesus Christ by faith, is it not? You see, there's an idea in which some people think, oh, if they are in, if they, if they are in the church but still love their sins, somehow they will not come under the condemnation of God. That's not the case. You see, God is always concerned about that true formation of Christian life, Christian spirituality within the life of the individual. And this is why then, even in the Old Testament, we see passages of Scripture along the following lines. And just give me a moment here to, to get some of these cross-references. Listen to what Isaiah says about the day of the Lord. For the day, this is Isaiah chapter 2, verse 12. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon everyone that is proud and lofty. Upon everyone that is lifted up, he shall be brought low. He says again, Isaiah in chapter 13. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh. Cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate. He shall destroy the sinners thereof. He says again in Isaiah 34, verse 8, For it is the day of the Lord's vengeance, a year of recompenses for the controversy of Zion. What do we see happening here? Well, essentially what we're seeing is this. While there is an element in which God, the day of the Lord is God's judgment upon those who oppose and oppress his people, there is also an element of moral kind of reality, if I can put it that way, that would make one understand that it's not just being associated with the right group. It's a real internal work of grace in the heart that God is looking for. And if that internal work of grace is not there... Judgment comes. And that's why God is long-suffering, you see. He's not sitting there just waiting, rubbing his hands, saying, oh, I can't wait for this day of judgment. He's long-suffering. He's patient. He's not willing that any should perish. But that day of the Lord will come. You see, what's interesting when we take this idea of the day of the Lord from the Old Testament and bring it into the New Testament, what we find is that the day of the Lord really begins to revolve around the person of Jesus Christ. And everything by way, of the way, by, by way of the day of the Lord all revolves around your relationship to Jesus Christ. 
You see, if a person is in a right relationship with Jesus Christ by faith and is living according to the commands of Christ and spiritual life is true and vibrant and real in the person, in that person's life, then that person, in one sense, as I said, looks forward to the day of the Lord. But if a person rejects, if a, per- if a person scoffs, if a person mocks, you see that day of the Lord is a day of awful judgment. You know, we have something of a Old Testament illustration of this uh, by way of the day of the Lord being a, a day of blessing for the people of God, but a day of judgment on those who oppose God. We see something of an illustration of this in the Old Testament, not only by the actual uh, exertions of God's justice uh, in the times of the Old Testament. We see God delivering his people. But I think one of the clearest ways that we see this is in the cloud uh, that separated Israel from Egypt at the parting of the Red Sea. Do you remember that? There was this cloud that to the, to the Egyptians was darkness, but to the Israelites was light. And that one event, that cloud, was to two groups of people, two different things. And it's the same way with the coming of the day of the Lord. It shall be to two different people, to two, two sets of people, two different things. To the one it shall be judgment, to the other it shall be blessing. And that's why, again, as I said earlier, there is a sense in which the church of Jesus Christ will see in the return of the Lord this great admiration for the person of Christ. He's coming, in a sense, by way of all of his glory. I have to admit, I long to see that day. I long to see that day when Jesus Christ, when his name will no longer be be used as a curse word. I long to see that day when when Jesus Christ shall, shall come forth in all of his glory. I long to see that day when, when the power of Jesus Christ shall be manifested openly. But until that day, I long to make known that God is not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. And so again, this idea of the day of the Lord is very, very important for us. The day of the Lord, even as it comes into the New Testament, again, still has this double-edgedness to it, we might say. For the believer, it's a day of great comfort. A, great, a day of great hope. It is the blessed hope uh, that, that Paul refers to. But for the unbeliever, it will be a day of woe. That's why in Romans chapter uh, 2, verse 5, Paul calls it a, a day of wrath. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 17, it's called the, the great day. Later on, Peter will refer, will refer to it not only as the day of the Lord, but as the day of God. Also, as a day of judgment, it's referred to in 2 Peter, again, chapter 3, verse 7. And so, again, all these ideas about both wrath and blessing are all bound up on that day. And the question is this, where will you and I stand on that day? You see that day? That day when Jesus Christ comes to judge the living and the dead, where will you and I stand? You see, it's not sufficient that we be found in a church on a Sunday morning. I'm glad you're here on a Sunday morning. I thank God. Again, you know how we feel. We wish you'd see more and more here on a Sunday morning. But that's not sufficient, is it? The matter is the heart, is it not? Where does the soul stand before God? This awful day is coming. A day in which Christ will be admired in his saints as he exerts justice and judgment in the land. As all the wrongs are righted and all that which, is, which, which should be made right will be made right through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this day of the Lord, again, is an awful, yet it is a day of great admiration uh, concerning uh, the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is that day, the day of the Lord. And as Peter says, this day will come. Oh, I, I hope that I can convince you of this, that this day will come. I hope that you're not carried away by the, by the scoffing of the scoffers and the mockers. 
I hope and I pray that the jokes of the present generation are not enough to, to kind of shake you away from this bedrock faith and what Jesus Christ is saying. You see, again, this idea of the judgment of God is a certain fact. Well, that leads us to the cert- that leads us from the certainty of the day to what I would call now the nature of the day. It's kind of interesting when we look at verse ten. We see a number of things about the description of this day. I would say that there are three things that we see. Number one, there is an element of unexpectancy to the day, and that's what Peter means when he says that uh, the Lord shall come as a thief in the night. We'll we'll take a look at this idea of this unexpectancy. The second thing we're going to see is not only this unexpectancy, but we're also going to see that there's a an, ele- an element of cataclysm uh, r- related to this day. This day will be a day of great change in the physical order of this world. And we'll take a look at that. And the third thing we're going to see, as I said before, that this day will be something of a day of revelation, a day of unveiling, a day of exposure. Well, let's take a look at the first thing that we see here by way of this day. It is, again, a day of unexpectancy. And this is revealed or this is made known to us in the way that Peter speaks about it. But the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night, as a thief in the night. Now, again, this is another one of those phrases that's all all the time connected with the second coming of Jesus Christ. We we hear about the day of the Lord and being referred to over and over again. It's the same thing with with the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in the context of coming as a thief in the night. Now, what's interesting is that Peter, in one sense, we might say this, Peter's taking this up because he heard the Lord Jesus Christ himself make reference to the fact that he was coming as a thief. Kind of an interesting uh, way for our Lord to refer to refer to Himself, is it not? You know, He comes as a thief, not to do what a thief does, but He comes as a thief in order that you and I might hear that a thief comes at a time when He's not expected. That a thief usually shows up with the ability, or at least with the tools, to do what He intends to do. It shall, it shall certainly be the case with Jesus Christ. He will be able to do on that day what He intends to do. And so this thief, again, the thief, uh, again, the idea of, uh, of the thief coming in the night, it has this element of unexpectancy to it. As I said, Peter heard the Lord Jesus Christ speak about this. He, again, in Matthew chapter 24, uh, the Lord reveals this, that he is coming again as a, as, a, as a thief in the night. He gives this exhortation to watch and to be careful for this coming. You know, when you think about it, when you think of how Peter heard this, uh, the, the teaching of our Lord, what's interesting is that I think Peter was taken up with the, with the idea of the second coming. I'm sure of it that he was. And the reason why I say that is because Peter not only heard our Lord pre- preaching on the second coming, he shall come as a thief in the night, but Peter preached the second coming himself. He preached it in Acts chapter 3. He talked about the Lord Jesus Christ going to heaven and coming again. In this, in this first epistle, he makes reference to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ three separate times. And so the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ was that which is very, very important in the mind of Peter. And I hope it's important in your mind as well. But this idea is a thief in the night. Again, Matthew chapter 24, verse 43, Jesus says this, But know this, that if the good men of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2, we heard it read this morning. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. Again, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, our passage in front of us. And then in Revelation chapter 16, verse 15, the Lord says himself, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keeps his, keeps his garment, that he, uh, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. 
So when our Lord is using this idea or this image of a thief, what's he trying to do? What's he, what's he trying to convey? He is conveying the idea of the unexpectancy of the timing of his return. This is something that God seems to want to keep before us, the idea of unexpectancy. So that we do not have in our mind a kind of a clear pattern as to, okay, we know on this particular day Jesus Christ shall return. God seems to be, again, content to leave it out there to where we never know when the Lord is coming, but we always live in a a state of expectancy. And so I ask you the question, are you this day expecting the return of the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes, again, with this expectancy, with this awareness that he can come at any time. Now, again, I know at this point that oftentimes this is where the scoffers kind of mock and this is where the scoffers kind of snicker. And sometimes, as I said as I said in weeks past, sometimes that kind of shakes us off of our steadfastness to, towards Jesus Christ. But do not let it. Why? Because God has ordained that this day come as a thief in the night. There is an element of unexpectancy whenever the return of our Lord Jesus Christ is spoken of. And so again, what our Lord is intending by this then, and what Peter is intending by this, is that you and I be watchful for that awful day, for that day of our Lord's return, a day of unexpectancy. But we also see that there is something of, of, uh, of, uh, of cataclysm associated with this day as well. While the day is unexpected, the day will not go unnoticed. You see, and the reason why it will not go unnoticed is because what we see, and again, in Scripture, in a number of places, the idea of real physical change taking place when our Lord returns. Again, notice what Peter says here in verse 10, uh, where he speaks about uh, the, um, the earth, uh, um, uh, in, in, in verse 10, where he speaks about the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burnt up. What a sight is this? What a sight is this? This is just as cataclysmic as the flood of old. This is just as, uh, again, uh, uh, shocking as it were, uh, so, so strange as it were, as even the flood itself. And that's what is intended by these very words. The idea now that there will come this great cataclysm upon the earth, not to annihilate it. You see, the purpose here is not to, to burn up the earth so that it never exists, so that it goes out of existence. The purpose here, even as the flood was, the purpose here is to renovate the earth. Peter will later say that we look for a new heavens and new earth wherein dwells righteousness. And so this burning up that we see here is not a burning up of of annihilation. It is a burning up of renovation. God intends a world where righteousness dwells. God intends a reality, an environment where everything is done according to what he has laid out in his word. And so this great catastrophe, this great cataclysm that is going to attend the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ isn't for the annihilation of the world. It's for the renovation of the world because God has ordained that there will be a world wherein dwells righteousness. That's, that's this world right here. So we see not only this unexpectancy, we see not only this, God, this, this, uh, this cataclysm, but we also see thirdly, that the return of the Lord Jesus Christ shall have a revelatory aspect to it. And what do I mean by that? What's kind of interesting when we look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, as I have it here in the King James, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. 
But what's interesting is that when we read in the ESV or maybe in the NIV, the, the translation is a little different. And there's some significance to this matter of translation here. Again, the ESV says this, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and all the works that are done on it. Now listen how the ESV translate it, translates it. The works and all that are done on it will be exposed, will be exposed. The NIV is something close to this. It says that the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. And what we're seeing here at this time of the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, as I said before, is not a burning up by way of annihilation to where nothing is left. There's a burning up in order to purge away that which is wicked in order that that which might remain will remain. Your works going through judgment fire as it were. Your attitude, your everything about you is going to go through this, again, time of, of, of renovation of this great fire. Now, this is not a purgatory, if you will. Uh, this is not, again, something whereby uh, your, your, your sins are going to be purged away. But this fire on that day will be a fire that reveals the very nature of your character, the very nature of your works, the very nature of your heart and of your soul. And so, again, that's what we're seeing in this passage of Scripture. It is a day by way of the day of the Lord. It's a, it's, a, it's a glory day for the church, but it's a day of judgment for those who are outside of Jesus Christ. And that day, as I said before, has these three characteristics to it. It's, un, it's an unexpected day. You don't know when it will happen, and God has intended it that way. It's a day of great cataclysm. There will be great changes in the physical order of this world, but it's also a day of revelation. All things will be laid bare. Well, the question before us then is essentially this. What will be our response to this day, this day of the Lord? How will you respond to this day of the Lord? Well, let me say first and foremost is this. Do not be carried away with the mocking of the mockers. Do not allow this present order of things to shake you off of faith in Jesus Christ. That is the most important thing that you have. The most important possession that you have in your soul is faith in Jesus Christ. Come what may, again, having faith in the Lord Jesus Christ secures you through all the ups and downs of life. Also understand that only does it secure you through all the ups and downs of life to come. It secures you in the things of this life as well. And so again, do not lose this faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What do you do when you hear the mockers mock? You present to them, again, the long-suffering of God. And you say to them, God is not willing that any should perish. God is willing to receive you. If you only leave off your sins, God will have you. And so again, that's the first thing that we do by way of how we handle a passage of Scripture uh, such as this. The other thing that I would say is this, is the way that we handle a passage of Scripture like this, is let's make sure that we understand, again, just how certain the Word of God is. Over and over again, we see this phrase, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, what shall come? And so again, it will come in fulfillment of all biblical prophecy. You see, God will not allow his word to drop to the ground unfulfilled, but God will indeed fulfill his word. So that's the second way in which we handle this passage of scripture. But the third way in which we handle this scripture is found here in verse 11. And notice what Peter says here in verse 11. He says the following, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Seeing then, you see again, the word of God is not only to be understood, it's to be acted upon. 
Seeing then all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be? And I ask you the question, what manner of persons ought you to be? If there is this coming day of the Lord Jesus Christ, what manner of persons ought you to be in the way that you conduct yourself? What manner of persons ought you to be in the way that you think about life in general? What manner of persons ought you to be in the way that you lay out and plan out your life? You see, all these things must be done in light of, the, in light of this coming day. You know, what's interesting is that when we look at the day of the Lord, we see two things. In the day of the Lord, there is uh, an aspect in which it motivates. It is to be used as a motivation for the unsaved to come to faith in Jesus Christ. This coming day of judgment, it's coming. Well, how do you escape the day of judgment? By seeking God's mercy in Jesus Christ. God is not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. And that whole idea of repentance revolves around, once again, the person of Jesus Christ. So for the unsaved, the day of the Lord is a great motivation to come to saving faith. But for the believer, the coming day of judgment ought to be a great motivation for sanctification and holiness. Seeing these things will shortly come to pass. What manner of persons ought ye to be? And so the last way that I want you to see and understand how this passage of Scripture is applied is that it is applied to your life and my life by way of personal sanctification and holiness. I hope those two words have something of a charm to your ears. I mean that sincerely. I hope the idea of sanctification and holiness is very appealing to you. I hope that 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 whole idea, the picture of living a godly life in an ungodly world is that which draws out your heart. I hope and I pray that you see something in others by way of holiness and sanctity, something that you long to emulate. And that's what we are being called to in this passage of Scripture seeing that these things will most certainly come to pass, what manner of persons ought ye to be? Well, he answers it for us, does he not? We are to be those persons who live in all holy conversation and godliness. Well, then this is the biblical teaching on the day of the Lord in this passage of Scripture. It's a certain day. It's most certainly coming. It's a day of particular characteristics, unexpected. Again, catastrophic in some sense. uh, Revealing. And the, and the end of all that is that the way we are to conduct ourselves in light of that coming day. My brothers and sisters, let us live to the glory of God in light of the coming day of the Lord. Let us live according to holiness and sanctity in this fallen world. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, Lord God. And we ask and we pray that you would be with us, Lord, to help us to live in light of this great fact of the second coming of our Savior. Oh, Father, we ask, Lord, that holiness would be that which we long to see manifested in our lives, that the work of your Spirit would be with us, Lord God, to make us holy, even as you are holy, Father. Give us grace in these things, we pray. Help us, Lord, not to be set aside by the, by the mocking and the scoffing of unbelievers, but help us, Father, instead to take up with all seriousness, Lord, everything that a passage like this brings to our thinking. Grant these things to us, we pray, Father, that we might live for your glory in this fallen world. And we ask, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.